Well, thanks so much for joining us. Excited to spend some time in God's Word today. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. We're continuing our series called Between Two Worlds as we look at the second half of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 through through 12. Uh, These chapters find us uh, in an interesting time. Uh, When we look in the book of Daniel, we find Daniel in an interesting time. In fact, maybe a better way to say it is, Daniel finds himself in trying times, and today I believe we find ourselves in trying times. Uh, You tell me if any of these statements describe your life right now. You're feeling stressed about your finances. You're unsure about the security of your job. Maybe you've lost your job or you've been furloughed. You're feeling strained in some of your relationships with friends and family. Frustrated over the lack of progress in your your daily rhythms. Unable, perhaps, to celebrate a graduation with uh, your classmates and and loved ones. Sick and tired of the weather. No more snow in April. Struggling, perhaps, to adjust to schooling or caring for a child at home. And we could... Uh, expound upon that in many different ways. Perhaps you're at your wit's end with boredom or the mundane in your life right now. We still have lingering fears uh, of getting COVID or perhaps someone we know or love getting COVID. We fear what will happen if we stay closed much longer. We also are weary or perhaps fired up about the conversation of when we should open up and how we should open up. And, and if we zoom out of our life and we look around us at the trying circumstances we find ourselves in, just consider this, that in the last month, 20 million people have filed for unemployment in our country. Consider this, that in the last six weeks, 60,000 Americans have lost their life to the coronavirus. I saw today that that is more than, uh, more than the lives that were lost in the Vietnam War. And if we look at our own state, we've seen 3,600 people lose their life. This doesn't even address the reality that we're discovering even now about how this is affecting those who are already vulnerable in our communities. And and did I mention that it's an election year? Did you know that? There's all kinds of trying circumstances that we find ourselves in right now. And as we come to these trying circumstances, we have to ask ourselves, how do we walk with God in the midst of trying circumstances? What does that look like in our life? Uh, the book uh, of Daniel uh, is filled uh, with testimony after testimony of what it looks like for God's people to walk faithfully with Him in the midst of trying times. And, and Daniel chapter 9 is no different. It, it comes to us and it shows us what it looks like to, to walk with God, to, to faithfully follow after Him, to, to live as we've been talking about between the world that is now and the world that's to come. But I also realize as, as we talk about this, I know that not everybody's asking the question of what does it look like to walk with God in trying times. You might be asking a slightly different question. You might be asking, where is God in the midst of these trying times? You you may be wondering to yourself, can I trust God when I look at my circumstances and they're so difficult? And those are real questions. Those are real challenges that we are facing in these 
days. And in Daniel chapter 9, we're not only going to see what it looks like to walk with God in trying times, we're going to discover God himself who is not only in control, but he is near to all who call out to him, regardless of the circumstance that they find themselves in. So, so what I want to do this morning is, is walk through chapter 9. Uh, and, and, and give an overview of this chapter and, and look at Daniel's trying circumstances and, and Daniel's uh, really uh, beautiful prayer that, that we see uh, him pray in this chapter and then uh, come to, to God's response, which uh, closes out this chapter. But as we look at Daniel's circumstance and we look at chapter 9, uh, at the end, I want us to, to really think about what does it look like for you and I in, in the moment that we find ourselves in to walk with God in our trying time? So, so let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 to begin. We, we're going to see Daniel's own trying circumstances. It says that in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by the sent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, Daniel perceived in the books the number of years, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, that must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Here we find Daniel's particular circumstances. We can call these Daniel's trying times. How do we know these are trying times for Daniel? Well, well, first off, we know that this happens in the first year of King Darius, also uh, perhaps called by the, the name Cyrus that we see later on in the, in the book of Daniel. And, and we know that this is the, the first year of this king and the, the, the Medo-Persian empire. So now Daniel has experienced a transition from the Babylonian empire to the, to the Persian empire, from uh, one king, uh, not only from one king to another, but from one empire to another. And, and as you can imagine, in Daniel's time, when one kingdom fell and another kingdom was raised up, it wasn't like the peaceful passing of the baton with American presidents. You can be assured that it was a time filled with all kinds of change, loss of life, all kinds of uncertainty. And, and on top of all of that, Daniel is not only experiencing this transition from the end of the Babylonian empire to the Persian empire, but he's also finding himself towards the near, uh, to, towards the end of the Babylonian exile. God had, in judgment, brought the people of Israel, some out of uh, Jerusalem, and brought them to Babylon almost 70 years ago. We see that Daniel is looking at God's word and wondering when exactly those 70 years are going to be up. And the time is, is near. He had walked through uh, this exile. And it says in Jeremiah 29, uh, the prophet Jeremiah that he was reading, I think it's likely Daniel's reading Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 11, when, when God says, um, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you the promise and bring you back to this place, bring you back to Jerusalem. And then you, you might know this verse well. God says in bringing his people back to Jerusalem, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, uh, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Daniel's reading these words from the prophet Jeremiah, longing for when God is going to keep his promise and bring his people back from exile. And the fact that Daniel is near the end of exile also means that Daniel's near the end of his life. When, when Daniel came to Babylon as a teenager, he was young. Uh, he, he enrolled in uh, Babylon University and, and was trained in the ways of Babylon. But now some 70 years have passed and he is an old man near the end of his life. 
well into his 80s. And as Daniel considers God's word and his current situation, no doubt he finds himself in, in some really difficult circumstances, some really trying circumstances. And, and look, what, look what Daniel does. Look, look how God is at work and leads Daniel in the midst of this time. Daniel, we see from his trying circumstances, now we see him responding in prayer. As Daniel looks at God's word and he thinks about his circumstances, he's weighing these two things out, it says that he's moved to pray. And his prayer is a prayer of repentance and a prayer of lament for the people of Israel and for their sin and for for his own sin. And he's seeking God in prayer in the midst of his trouble. It says in in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas of mercy with with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So this isn't just him sitting down in the corner to to have just a brief time of prayer. There's a a real deep sense of lament and brokenness over over his people and their sin and and his desire to to repent and ask God to come and, and fulfill his promise to bring them back to Jerusalem. It says in verse 4 that he prayed to the Lord and, and God, and he made confession saying, O oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned. We've done wrong, he says. We've acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We've not listened to your servants. We haven't listened to the prophets. When, when the prophets showed up and warned us to turn from our sin and our rebellion and our idolatry, We hardened our heart and we went our own way. We didn't listen to the prophets who spoke in your name to kings and princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. Now listen listen to how he describes God. He says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As to this day, to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away and all lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we've sinned against you. You see this repetition that he's confessing the sin, lamenting the sin of Israel. To the Lord, our God, belongs mercy and forgiveness for we've rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside. And the curse and the oath that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we've sinned against you. So Daniel not only knows Jeremiah 29, but, but Daniel knows, uh, he knows, he knows the law of Moses from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. And he knows that what Deuteronomy talks about, Leviticus talks about, when, when God's people uh, walk in disobedience, curses and, and judgment, discipline comes upon them. When they walk in obedience, there's, there's blessing. Verse 12 says he's confirmed his words which he's spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing about upon us a great calamity. Here he is. He says, here we are in this troubling time. For under the whole of heaven there's not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem as it is written in the law of Moses. All this has come upon us. And we've not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, Lord, the Lord has kept us ready Uh, has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, we have made and have made a name for yourself. As to this day, here's the confession, we have sinned 
and acted wickedly. When, when you read through his prayer, what, what you see uh, Daniel praying is, is God, you, you are righteous, you are merciful, you are full of love, you're a covenant-keeping God. And God, we aren't. We don't live up to that. We're a covenant-breaking people. We're, we're a, a love-denying people. We're an unfaithful people. We're an unrighteous people. We've gone our own way. And we've sinned against you. And Daniel's broken over the sin. And, and really at the heart of what he's praying, though, it's important for us to understand what Daniel, what's really driving Daniel's prayer. He's burdened over the sin of Israel, but it's a particular uh, burden that he has on his mind. And we saw it in, in verse 2. When, when he's looking at Jeremiah, he's wondering when the 70 years are going to come about and the end of the desolations of Jerusalem will come. He's saying, God, when are you going to bring us back to Jerusalem? When are you going to, to bring us out of this exile? And in verse 16, look at it there. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins for the iniquities of our father. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among the nations. You see the request? He said, O Lord... Turn away your wrath from the city of Jerusalem. In verse 17, he says, Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Speaking in reference to the temple there in Jerusalem. And then verse 18, he says, O Lord, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. God, bring us back to the place from which we have come. You know, in, in our family, uh, we often take long road trips to, to see uh, our family and and we've we've kind of got a system you know we we know when to leave so that it matches the kids sleeping schedules and we get the kids set up with you know with movies and games and snacks and we get the car situated just right so everything's uh, accessible and and we we hit the road um, and uh, I love in the, the process of a road trip, like trying to, to time it just right so that you have the, the least amount of uh, stops and you, you maybe beat the clock, you know, on Google Maps when it's showing you how far you have. And uh, just, you know, maybe if you go within the spirit of the speed limit just a little bit faster, you can get there uh, on time. And, and in, in those moments, though, as you're on the road, uh, there's that, that, that question that usually comes from the back or maybe internally, uh, and it's this question, are we there yet? Have you been there? Uh, do you, have you been the person in the back seat or, or perhaps been the one receiving the are we there yet questions? It, it inevitably comes. And, uh, and of course, you try to find gracious ways to answer. You block your mind by listening to music or a podcast or something. But the hardest part is actually the last like hour or two, especially of a long road trip. When you've been on the road a long time and you know you're like almost there uh, and you're just ready for it to be done. Uh, and it's at that moment, especially if it's late at night, that it's so hard uh, to, to keep waiting. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a, a video out there of me somewhere trying to rap to the road signs, you know, along, along the road, just trying to pass the time. Uh, it's that moment of delirium, you know, that you hit in that road trip. You're just longing to be home. You're, you're longing to be at the end of your destination. Well, Daniel is in that place. Daniel is longing to be home. Daniel is ready for the long journey of exile to end, and he's ready for God to bring him home and the people of Israel back home. And one of the most powerful examples of this, if you look down in verse 21, when God answers the prayer of Daniel, it says in verse 21, Daniel says, While I was praying, 
the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at first, referencing back to chapter 7, came to me in a swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. Now, why, why is that significant? Daniel's been in Babylon. There hasn't been an evening sacrifice in nearly 70 years. Daniel's been out of Jerusalem for nearly 70 years, but you can, take, you can take Daniel out of Jerusalem, but you can't take Jerusalem out of Daniel. Daniel's living in Babylon, but he's living on Jerusalem time. Just, just almost a, a small, insignificant marker of time that he uses to reference when all of this took place. But I, but I think it's in that moment, as one commentator says, sometimes what may seem incidental reveals a soul thirsting for God. And that's what we see with Daniel, thirsting for God, longing for God to return his people home. And now we see God's response starting in verse 20. It says that God literally sends his angel Gabriel to respond to Daniel. This is the VIP treatment. Um, I, I believe that God answers our prayers, but if Gabriel comes to answer your prayers, please uh, tell me. But in this moment, he does. God sends Gabriel in this vision to, to Daniel to, to answer his prayers. And, and the, uh, the, the, the powerful truth that we see here is that God hears his people. God loves his people, and he loves to answer their prayers. The only problem is that God answers Daniel's prayer with this vision about 70 weeks. Um, And uh, literally, it's in verse 24, we see this reference to 70 weeks, or literally 77s are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, it says. Um, And so uh, when we come to these verses, verses 24 through 27, I was was encouraged last week. I I hope uh, the lay of the land as we think about end times and looking at uh, Daniel 8 was, was helpful to you. I was encouraged after Daniel 8 that we would come to you know calmer and smoother waters and, and Daniel 9, so to speak. But uh, that is not the case. When I uh, began to study this, I, I felt that these and knew that these were difficult verses, but uh, I was, was particularly encouraged when I read uh, some of the, the commentators who write on this. Uh, one says that this is the most difficult text in the book. Another says uh, that these are the most four controversial verses in the Bible. Now, uh, when I read that, I thought commentators might be prone to exaggeration, but nonetheless, they're, they're difficult uh, to, to read. Another said, the history of interpretation of Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks is the dismal swamp of Old Testament interpretation. And so uh, in light of all of that, uh, I hope now to make it all abundantly clear to you what it means. Um, in fact, in that spirit, one of my, one of my favorite uh, pastors and preachers is Alistair Begg, um, and uh, before he preached on these verses, he said this to uh, his church, and uh, in, his, uh, in his words, uh, it captures uh, my own sentiment. He says, in what follows, I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening, and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter. What I'm about now to unfold to you, for some, it will annoy you, disappointing others, confusing many, and perhaps being encouraging to a few. And so in that spirit, I, I hope to unpack uh, these 70 weeks for us. Um, and, and honestly, just as we learned in Daniel 8, when we come to God's word, uh, we come with humility asking God to help us uh, and give us wisdom. And, and the first thing that we see is um, these 70 weeks, it says that uh, they've been decreed for your people through the holy city. And, and listen to these purpose clauses to finish 
the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. There's our first marker. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. To the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. <clears throat> so we, we mentioned a few kind of rules that help us last week as we interpret uh, Daniel 7 through 12. And, and really, Daniel 7 through 12 is what's known as apocalyptic literature. There are a number of other places in the Bible, including Revelation and Matthew 23 uh, through 25 and a few other places that, um, that reference apocalyptic literature. And the thing about apocalyptic literature is it has a few characteristics. It usually comes uh, vision. It's visionary in nature. There's usually angelic mediators who come to, to either bring the vision or interpret the vision. It's in reference to the end times and in kind of cataclysmic uh, symbols and images. And, and it has to do with God's intervention uh, in the end times to, to bring about his purposes. And so uh, in the midst of all of this, there's a lot of symbolism that's rich in apocalyptic literature. Um, and, and for example, some of the symbolism that we see is in reference to, to numbers and to, uh, to periods of time. And, and this is different than prophetic literature, though there's some similarities. Uh, Jeremiah 29, for example, is prophetic. It, it's not, it doesn't come in a vision. It doesn't come with an angelic mediator or necessarily have to do with the end time, but it's God speaking through uh, his prophet to, to share uh, what's going to come in the future. Uh, and, and when it says in Jeremiah 29, there's going to be 70 years while you're in exile, uh, we, should, we should interpret that as there are going to be 70 years that you're in exile. But when we come to apocalyptic literature, just as we saw last week with the beast and all the reference to the horns and uh, everything else related to that, the symbols are pointing to something real. And I think here, the, the reference to these 70 weeks are, are pointing to, uh, to, to something real, but it's not a reference to, to exactly 70 weeks, um, but instead to, uh, to some defined periods of time. Now, I know some people who, who can make a compelling case for a little understand, a literal understanding of these verses, and uh, I respect that and, uh, and, and love the conversation, but, but here's how we're going to break this down. We, we see that the, the first reference to a period of time is seven weeks, and this, these seven weeks refer to a relatively restricted time. It's, it's a period of time that uh, is, is relatively restricted, relatively short. And then we have this relatively extended time, these 62 uh, weeks that are referenced in verses uh, 25 and 26. And then finally, in verse 27, we have a reference to uh, one week, which is clearly a climactic time that has a, a clear reference to, to a climactic moment. And so this is, this is how we're going to break them down in a minute. But before we do that, I, wanna, I want you to think about the purpose of this vision that we see in verse 24 that helps guide us uh, in understanding this passage. And look at, uh, again, what it says in verse 24. It says that these 70 weeks are for this purpose, 
to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, when we look at these purpose statements in verse 24, uh, the, uh, the totality, the six of these statements, I don't think we can look at them and not think about Jesus. I mean, just, just think about what they're saying, that there, there's going to be an end to sin. The transgression is going to be done with. There's going to be atonement made for iniquity. The price, uh, the payment for sin is going to be made. Everlasting righteousness is going to come. The, the vision uh, and the prophet are going to be sealed. Therefore, no longer the prophetic word won't be needed. It will be fulfilled in an anointing a most holy place in reference to the, to the worship of God. In the Old Testament, it's the temple that's the place of worship. In the New Testament, Jesus says you can tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days not in reference to the construction of another temple, but in the reference to the resurrection of his body. And now that Jesus is raised, the place for worship isn't Jerusalem. The place for worship is a person, and his name is, is Jesus. And so when we zoom out and we look at Daniel 9 in light of the full uh, redemptive storyline of Scripture, you can't help but think about Jesus in these verses. And yet... We know that we also need to, uh, as our first uh, step, look at Daniel 9 in light of the original audience and ask ourselves, how would Daniel have understood it? Uh, and, and, and Daniel would read this with an eye to his current circumstances. Daniel would want to know, God, when are we going to make it home? When are we going to return to Jerusalem? And the 70 weeks is, is going to take us from Israel's return to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, which we're going to see in a minute, I think all the way to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, and to the very end before Jesus returns. So, so let's look at this a little bit more in depth. Verse 25, we see this first seven weeks, which is a relatively restricted time. It says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Uh, and, 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 and looking at this, we, we need to understand as we think about prophetic word and apocalyptic visions, look, we're, we're on the other side of so many of these things so we can look back with greater clarity to understand what exactly was this pointing to? And, and I think the word that, that is going to go out to restore and build Jerusalem is going to come from this very king. He's going to send the people of Israel back into Jerusalem to begin the work of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And, and it's going to come to a head under Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to rebuild the wall and, and, and the, 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 the structure of the city. And, and Ezra, who's going to come, I think this anointed one here, uh, is likely a reference to Ezra who comes that God sends uh, back to Jerusalem to restore the right worship of God in Jerusalem at the, uh, the reestablishment of the temple when it's rebuilt. And so this relatively restricted time of seven weeks, as it defines it here, is going to come about in, in the day when Israel is going to return to Jerusalem and the temple is going to rebuild and they're going to be back in, in their holy city. Uh, this is going to come in, in, in just, uh, just a number of years. They're going to be sent back uh, and this is going to take place. But it says after this, at the, the second half of 25... For 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. 
It doesn't tell us a whole lot about these 62 weeks. And I think that's why a good description is that it's a relatively extended time. And it's a time defined by building and by trouble. And that's exactly what happens as Israel makes it back to Jerusalem. There's, there's the rebuilding of the city. The, the right worship of God is restored. There's a building that takes place, but it's also a troubled time. It's a time that's not free from the oppression of outside enemies. It's a time that's not free from struggles within and disobedience among God's people. And it says after this time, in verse 25 there at the end, or excuse me, in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, so bringing that to a conclusion, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end there shall be war, and desolations are decreed. The anointed one who will be cut off and who will have nothing. When I read this, I can't help but think of Isaiah 53. If you look in Isaiah 53, 8, it, it says that, uh, speaking of the suffering servant that was going to come to bring about redemption for God's people, God said that he was oppressed and he was afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter, like sheep before its, shitter, uh, its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of the people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It was through Jesus being cut off on the cross, so that he made a way for the forgiveness of sins that's promised here in these verses to become a reality. I think this is pointing us to Jesus, to this relatively extended period of time that's going to come after Israel comes back into Jerusalem and the temple is rebuilt and Jerusalem is reestablished. There's going to be a time of building with trouble that's going to, to end with the coming of the Messiah who's going to be cut off and who will have nothing. And then it says that afterwards there's a prince who comes and destroys the city and the sanctuary. I think here, as again, as we look back in history with greater clarity, I think what we see here is most likely now a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem that comes at the hand of the Romans in AD 70 under the, uh, the, the prince, the ruler, Titus Vespasian, who, who comes in and destroys Jerusalem and tears down the temple uh, to which it will never be built again. And it's in, uh, it says here at the end that it sh in the, its end shall come with a flood, and the end sh there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. This is that terrible moment in the life of Israel when uh, Jerusalem is, is judged in a, uh, in a profound way, and it's destroyed, and the temple is destroyed. And it says, after this time... In verse 27, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out. There's some question as to who is the he in verse 27. Is this referencing, um, is this referencing the prince in verse 27, the Messiah? I think what we have in verse 27, this final week, which is clearly has this reference to, to kind of a climactic end uh, when, when we see that uh, desolation are decreed and there's one who will come and, uh, and make um, a covenant and, and there will be um, abominations and desolation that takes place until the decreed 
end poured out on the desolator. I think what's being referenced here is a final ruler, as one commentator describes it, who exalts himself, opposes his authority, and forbids true worship, instigating idolatrous worship in its place. But this ruler will meet its divine, his divinely decreed end. God will bring it all to an end. I think this climactic end is pointing beyond Jesus' first coming and the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and pointing forward to the, to the final end, uh, to, the, to the ultimate end before Jesus returns when, when the Bible says that there will be a time of great distress that comes upon the world and there will be one who, who rises up and, and leads many people astray and, and brings nations together to defy God and, and his people. And, and then the end will come. God will bring it to an end. And isn't that what we've seen throughout this book? All of this is happening. All of these troubling times are taking place. All of this chaos surrounds us. But there's one who will bring it to an end. There's one who's in control. And until the decreed end is when it will come about and God will bring it to an end. So, so what's the message of Daniel 9, 24 through 27? Again, in the words of, a, of, of another author, Dale Ralph Davis, he says that the, the message in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, he says it's something like this. God's saying to his people, you're called to a long obedience. Your people will be sustained even in distressing times, and the great hater of God's people sits in the Lord's crosshairs with the date of his demise clearly marked on God's calendar. You may have wished for more than that, but that's what Daniel 9, 24 through 27 is about, and that's not bad. I love that, uh, that characteristic. You may want more, uh, but, but I think this is what uh, God's message is to his people. You're coming back to the land. I'm going to bring you there, but it's going to be a time of building with trouble, and I'm going to bring you back, but when I bring you back, that's not the end of the story. There's, there's more persevering that must be done until I return, until I uh, make all things new. And that's where we find ourselves today, in a similar boat. Um, God's, God's promised us that one day He's going to bring it all to an end. All the injustice and the sin and the evil and the pain will be done away with, and God's promises will be fully and forever alive for us to enjoy, for all those who are in Christ. But now we wait. Now we find ourselves building in troubled times, walking with God in troubled times. I love that description that it gives there uh, as it talks about those 62 weeks, as it defines them uh, as, as a time of building, but in a troubled time. And that's, that's how we find ourselves today, walking in trying times, and troubled times. And so what does it look like to walk with God in the midst of this time? I, I want us to, uh, to kind of look back at Daniel 9, both uh, at how Daniel 9, uh, how Daniel responds in the midst of this, as well as what we see about God. Uh, and and, and here's, here's a few ways that I would unpack this as we think about what it looks like for us to walk with God in trying times. The, the first thing we see is exactly what we find Daniel doing at the beginning of this chapter. We need to go to the Bible if we're going to walk with God in troubling times. That's what Daniel was doing in the first year of King Cyrus. He was reading Jeremiah, and the, the law of Moses was on his mind, and he was thinking about what God had said and trying to figure out what it meant for his life at that moment. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. If, if I had to guess what Daniel's scrolls looked like, uh, they probably were tattered on the edges because he had unrolled them many times before wondering what God 
was saying, wondering what God was doing, trying to figure out what it meant to walk faithfully with God. And we need the same. In our day, we need to be people who go to the Bible as a, um, as a characteristic of our life. Now, you may say to yourself, like, I'm not a Bible student. Um, and I don't, I don't feel particularly gifted at studying the Bible or reading the Bible. And, and what I would say to you, you're, if, you're God's, uh, if you belong to God, it's what God has to say to you. Uh, it's, it's what God wants you to know. The, the Bible isn't man trying to figure out God. The Bible is God revealing himself to man. You want to hear God speak? You want to hear the voice of God? Just crack open the Bible and, and listen to God and the pages of his word to us. Uh, you know, I, I think as believers, we, uh, we, we need to think of our, uh, our taking in of the Bible as, as just like breakfast in our life. If I asked you what you ate for breakfast last Wednesday, odds are, unless you're like super disciplined, you eat the same thing all the time, uh, you, you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. You, you might be able to say, I'm pretty sure maybe I had scrambled eggs and some bacon. You know, that would be a good morning. You know, maybe I had a muffin, uh, mediocre morning. You know, maybe I had, you know, your favorite cereal. You know, we're doing okay. Whatever the case is, you, you might be able to give me some options, but most likely you wouldn't know. If I asked you what you had for breakfast two years ago, you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. But, but here's the thing. Whether it's breakfast or another meal, I know there's always somebody out there who says, I don't eat breakfast, you know. Well, shame on you. But uh, regardless of your meal, the reality is you eat mostly three meals a day or six meals, uh, whatever you do. And you may not be able to recall all of those meals, but all of those meals were for your nutrition. They strengthened and sustained you to carry out your life. Think of reading God's word in that same way. You may not be able to recall every day what God taught you. Daniel apparently did this for nearly 70 years. He probably couldn't have told you what he was reading in uh, the beginning of the exile. But it was God's word that sustained him. It was God's word that, that strengthened and nourished him. In the same way, we, we need the Bible to strengthen and, st- and nourish and sustain us if we're going to walk with God in troubling times. We need, a, we need clarity in the midst of confusion. We need peace in the midst of, of trying and troubling times. That's what we find when we come to God in the Bible. But not only do we need to go to the Bible, we also see in Daniel, we need to seek God in prayer. Daniel's rhythm of his life. We saw back in Daniel 6, when Daniel faced a time of trouble, um, he went in his room and he prayed. Daniel was a man who sought God in prayer. And, and that's exactly what he's doing here. No, no um, Nothing else in our lives really measures our dependence on God like prayer does. And we see when Daniel prays, we see this rhythm of a, a high view of God. He adores God as one who is righteous and uh, c- keeps his covenant steadfast in love. And, and, and not only does he have a high view of God, but he has a deep view of his sin. He, he calls out not only his own sin, but also the sin of his people. So when we, uh, when we come to God in prayer, we ought to, we ought to be marked by, by awareness of our, of our sin. We ought to be marked by a, a burden for the sin that's around us and, and a lament for the brokenness in the world that we see and the rebellion against God that we watch all around us. I mean, even as, a, as the people of God today, we should lament the, the state of our church, honestly, of churches uh, in uh, our, our nation that, that many are not teaching the Bible. Many, perhaps, are, uh, are, are forsaking a gospel that's focused on Jesus and his finished work on our behalf. 
God's calling us to be a people who have a high view of God and a deep view of our sin, and then to be a people who are not afraid to bring great pleas before God. Daniel petitions God. He pleads with God. He says, God, hear me. I love when you look at verse 18 and 19. Listen to Daniel. He says, oh, my God, incline your ear and hear me. He says, open your eyes, God, and see the desolations in the city. This city, God, that's called by your name. We don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. High view of God, deep view of sin, leads to, to mighty petitions to God. Oh, Lord, hear, oh, Lord, forgive, oh, Lord, pay attention and act, delay not. For your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Do you pray like that? Do you really plea with God in your prayers for the salvation of others, for needs in your life, for burdens that you carry, interceding on others' behalf? Let me give you uh, some encouragement as you think about praying. Plead with God on the basis of his character. God is a a righteous, steadfast, loving, gracious, merciful God. His word is always true. And when we, when we come to him in prayer, pray on the basis of his character. God, you, you are faithful and righteous, so hear my prayer. God, you are a God who wishes none to perish, but to all to come to repentance. So God, save my friend. God, you, you are the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and everything in between. So God, provide in my need. Plead with God on the basis of his character and then ask God to act in your life for his glory. What a powerful thing when you say to God, God, this isn't about me. It's not what I deserve. I don't deserve anything. I'm coming not on my own righteousness, but based on your mercy. So God, get glory in my life. You have your way in my life. We need people who seek God in prayer. And we need to be people who rest in God's love. Rest in God's love. We, we see in, in verse 4 that God is defined as a God who keeps covenant and is steadfast in love. But in verse, verse 20, uh, 23, when God sends Gabriel to answer Daniel's prayer, it says there in, um, in verse 23 that, that Gabriel comes and he says, I've come to tell you God's answer to your prayer, for you are greatly loved. I love that description. And the description that God gives of Daniel isn't just like some special thing that only Daniel gets. But because of what God has done for us in Christ, we too can see ourselves as greatly loved. The, the son, the beloved son of God who came to give himself on our behalf so that we might be brought into the family of God because of him, because of faith in him, God looks at us as his beloved children. We're brought into the family. He loves us. And here's the thing about resting in God's love in the midst of trying times. When you are unsure of God's love because of your circumstances, remember the cross. When you're unsure of God's love because of your circumstances, when you look around and you say, not feeling your love right now, God, not feeling your love and my need over here and my sorrow over here and my burden over here, Remember the cross, because it's there that while all of our circumstances may say, I'm not sure God loves me, it was there on the cross that God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, while we were rebels, 
Christ laid down his life in our place and for our sins so that we might become his children, his greatly loved children. Rest in his love in troubling times. And I think as believers, we, we continually have to return to this truth because it's so easy to forget that God is there with us in the midst of our troubling times, reminding us of his love, calling us to, to fall back into him and to rest. And listen, as I say that, there may be some of you who you don't know what it means to rest in God's love, to, to, to really be able to fall back into the arms of God with peace and assurance that you belong to him. Can I tell you that, that you can have peace and assurance that you belong to God? Just like Daniel prayed, God, it's not because of my righteousness that I'm asking this. I can only come to you because of your great mercy. And the other side of the coin of God's mercy is his grace. And his mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. And his grace, he abundantly gives us more than we could ask for, more than we deserve. He withholds his judgment from us because he poured it out on his son. And he gives us his righteousness and, and new life through believing in Jesus. So if, if you're listening to me today and you say, Michael, I want to be able to rest in God's love. I want to be able to know this peace and assurance that comes from falling into the, into the arms of God. Can I say that the way you know that is by, by acknowledging your sin and your need for God, acknowledging that, that you've been resting in, in all kinds of things other than God's love, leaning on things that haven't been very stable, perhaps your own uh, your own self or, or, or something else in the place of God and God saying, come to me. Turn from your sin and trust in me. And here's how you can do that. If, um, we, we never tired of inviting people to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, if in the, the honest confession of your heart, if you would pray this, the Bible says uh, that if we call out to God, all who call on him will be saved. And if you would pray, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've gone my own way. I know that I've sinned against you, but I come now, not trusting in myself, but trusting in your grace and your mercy. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. It's yours. In the Father's name, amen. And if that's your prayer, the Bible says that, that you have new life in Christ. And we want to we help you learn what it means to follow Christ and to rest in God's love continually. And then let us know, reach out to us at the number on the screen so that we can follow up with you so that you can know more of what it means to, to walk with God where, right where you find yourself. And the final two things I want to mention in terms of walking with God in troubling times is, is, is to trust God. Trust that God is working. We see this in the 70 weeks. Daniel's thinking, God, are we going back to Jerusalem? Is this the time? And in that moment, uh, it's so easy to, to just get discouraged and, and perhaps uh, give up because God basically says, you're going to go back, but it's not everything that you think. You're still going to have to persevere. There's, there's going to be building, but there's going to be trouble. And that's, that's really, in some ways, the Christian life. It's this idea of building in the midst of troubled times, of, of, of trusting that God is working even when things are hard. That, that's the journey of the Christian life, is day by day choosing to trust Him no matter what circumstances come our way. Not blindly, but because we see who he is in his word, we commune with him in prayer, we're assured of his love for us on the cross, that day by day, we trust him. We trust that he's at work. You, you might, might know this phrase if you're a sports fan, the, the idea of trust the process. 
If you're, you're going through uh, training camp, you're working up to the season, we can't wait for sports to come back, and you're, you're thinking about this. If you've been watching The Last Dance, I was thinking about this with Michael Jordan when, when they lost to the Bulls and they came back. Uh, to, to win their first title and beat uh, when they lost to the Pistons. And they came back in offseason and began to train and work out. And, and they had to go back to Coach Phil and trust the process, trust what, what the coach was saying and doing the work that was necessary so that they could make it back. And I know this is sensitive to some of my Pistons fans, but, but then they, they trusted the process and they, they beat their rival. And they went on to win a championship. And not one, but not two, not three, but, but six they trusted the process and they saw the fruit of their labor. In the same way as believers, we got to trust that God's at work and day by day continue to, to press into him and press into these rhythms of going to his word, of seeking him in prayer, of resting in his love. And, and finally, it all brings us to this, uh, this truth and this call to keep our eyes on Jesus. At the center of the uh, 70 weeks is the coming of the anointed one who will be cut off. And we said that the, the most important thing about reading apocalyptic literature, reading Daniel 7 through 12 or Revelation, it's not how to interpret all of those things, but it's understanding the, 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 the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Keeping our eyes centered on him, looking to him, to the one who, who, who has come and who is coming again. Our hope is wrapped up in him, no matter how troubling our times are. Jesus came. And we can rest in all the work that he's done for us. And Jesus is coming again so that we live every day trusting that he's in work when we don't see him. We don't see what's going on around us. We, we trust that he's at work and we seek to faithfully follow him. And that's the call for us today. When we look at Daniel 9, it's a call to walk with God in troubling times. A God who makes himself known and who calls his people to follow after him. And that's exactly what God's calling us to do as a church right now, right here to, to choose, not to allow ourselves to, to give in uh, to, the, to the difficulty and to the circumstances, but instead to, to press in to God. And so you might ask yourself, what does it look like to walk with God in troubling times? Well, here we see it laid out in Daniel 9, but we also see the God that we can trust. You might ask, where is God? Why, God, are you allowing these things? And we're reminded of exactly who he is and of exactly why we can trust him. Let's pray.